KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Flashpoint. Shining light on the issues that matter to you in Philadelphia. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. What up, he's Antoinette Lee, and this week on Flashpoint, we're discussing how domestic violence issues have been affected by the pandemic and Philadelphia's recent uptick in DV homicides. We know that over 70% of domestic violence-related homicides occur after someone's left the relationship. Our Newsmaker of the Week helps us understand the challenges for students who are exposed to violence in their homes. A lot of these children are becoming conditioned. Conditioned to the way that they feel is the appropriate way to react and the way that violence seems to be the only way. And for our change maker, we're highlighting Bucks County's one and only domestic violence shelter. We are here 24 7. Um, we have a hotline, and there is always somebody on the other end of the phone. It's a half hour you need to hear straight ahead on Flashpoint. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Antoinette Lee. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic abuse, there is help available. You can call the DV hotline at 866-723-3014. Again, that's 866-723-3014. Now, this week we are discussing the recent uptick in domestic violence incidents in which some have become fatal. Uh, As we've seen with many things in Philadelphia, the pandemic has also exacerbated these issues as well. In our city alone, homicides by domestic violence have more than doubled this year compared to last year. Here to discuss with us for this week's Flashpoint episode, we have Marcella Niachogo. She's program director of the Bilingual Domestic Violence Program at the Lutheran Settlement House in Philadelphia. And Jesse Ivey, she's a survivor of domestic violence and a consultant for other victims. Marcella and Jess, thank you so much for joining us on Flashpoint. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Same. Thank you. So, Marcella, let's start with the changes that you have noticed over the course of the pandemic at the Lutheran Settlement House. What are you noticing? I mean, I think what we noticed really initially on in in the pandemic was right the first couple weeks of COVID, there was a dip in services. We sort of assumed that everybody was trying to figure out kind of what was going on societally in the big picture and everybody was kind of hunkering down. What we've noticed since that initial just first couple of weeks is a steady increase in requests for counseling and support calls on our hotline. For us at Lutheran Settlement, we do domestic violence counseling, and we've had a 30% increase in requests for counseling over the last couple of months as to, you know, compared to what we would have seen two years ago. And for us, we think that that really speaks to the fact that the pandemic and the isolation that the pandemic has, you know, created for all of us has really, really negatively impacted people who are already managing and trying to survive and stay safe in abusive relationships. So, you know, we have a couple of thoughts that we're hearing from survivors about why it's been really challenging for them. But what we've seen is just an increase in requests in general, and also an increase in severity of danger in the in the cases that are coming through our doors. You know, there's just a lot fewer resources open and available for people. So we're noticing that when people need support from us, in addition to the emotional support, it's also, I physically need somewhere to live. There's obviously a housing shortage in Philadelphia. COVID has, you know, even worsened that, right? So there's all these overlapping issues that survivors are facing. And that's really what we've been seeing in the pandemic. And how has your organization been able to meet those needs? Are you seeing a need for more resources on your end as well? 
Yeah. So we've been able to get really creative. I mean, part of the reason that I love the DV movement is that uh, we really follow survivors lead in being creative in all the ways to support them. So one of the interesting aspects about our agency is we're a multi-service agency. Our doors have stayed open through the pandemic because we also run a food pantry. So we've done things like, you know, when survivors are not physically able to leave the house or have an excuse to call a a counselor from another room, they're able to show up at our at our site, you know, requesting any number of the other services that we offer. And we're able to sort of offer them the counseling in a safe way where their abusive partner wouldn't be able to hear the phone call or hear the Zoom call. We've done all kinds of creative things like that to try to just get people connected to the support that they need and sort of decrease that isolation we were seeing. We've also been fortunate to be able to connect survivors to different housing fund programs that have come through. One of the biggest barriers that we've noticed with that is just that there's a shortage of literal places that the, that survivors can even move to, even if they have the funds and supports available. So that's something that we've been you know, getting more involved in as an agency is figuring out how we can support with sort of the, the different various housing needs of survivors, in addition to sort of the immediate crisis housing. You know, there is a safe haven in Philadelphia for domestic violence survivors, which is run by Women Against Abuse, a sister agency. Um, and that that information can be accessed through the DV hotline that you shared earlier. Um, but what we just hear from survivors a lot is that after that immediate crisis point, people need a safe place to, to, to live in more of a permanent fashion. And so that's really the challenge that we're seeing now. And Jess, I'd love to give you the opportunity to hop in here. First of all, thank you so much for agreeing to be here today and share with us. Do you mind telling us about your own experience? Of course. I mean, everything Marcella said is on point. It's the public cannot really fathom it because I don't know, there's just a divide with what the public thinks of domestic violence and thinks of getting out of domestic violence and the reality of the situation And that's why I do the consultation work so that I can help educate people who are in positions to see the signs and also what to properly do when you see the signs, because what you think you should do may not be like the best thing to do. And as Marcella said, housing is a big thing, even if you have the funding or resources, getting into a new housing situation, the logistics of it are incredibly difficult. Women who are leaving are faced with just a shattered state of mind that they now have to completely rebuild while also functioning, while also either being caregivers to children or other family members or whatever their dynamic is, because we seem to forget that these women aren't just on their own, you know, just like many people take care of their parents or they take care of their kids or do whatever they do. Survivors are the same way. They have the same in and out responsibilities. And now they're also juggling all of this other work and try giving up everything that they know to try to be safe. My situation, I was actually really grateful. Um, I had a lot of help. I, it required a lot of help. It was a lot of logistics. It was a lot of me leaning on other people to be safe. And that wouldn't have been possible. If the pandemic was happening, I wouldn't have been able to move where I moved and and relocated because it just wouldn't have happened with other people's health issues and COVID restrictions. I just, I would have had to stay put. I can't see a way where it would have been possible given the circumstances. And as far as just the other life, I mean, there were little saving grace moments where I got to interact with people because I was very isolated And those moments would have been taken away from me. Those little glimmers of hope that 
there's someone out there who, despite me saying absolutely nothing about what was going on, could see it. And their kindness to let me know that they could see it and that they understood. And they didn't even have to say it. They just, they were there whenever I saw them. That glimmer of hope was a saving grace. And I, I wouldn't have had that with the pandemic. And I don't know what I would have done. What is the definition of domestic abuse? So for us, we use the the working definition that um, domestic violence is uh, an abusive relationship in which one partner uses power and control to basically abuse and manipulate another partner. A couple of things that we really pull out from that definition is that domestic violence is a pattern, right? It's a pattern of these abusive behaviors. What we've seen a lot during COVID is that COVID put stress on every relationship and family unit, even super healthy, thriving ones. Um, domestic violence is not about that, right? We're talking about a very intentional pattern of abusive behaviors that one person uses to gain power and control over the other. You know, we'll see this in various different forms and every relationship looks different. And a lot of those forms of power and control are not legally considered crimes, which is one of the things that, you know, gets tricky about domestic violence is that abusive partners get really creative, unfortunately, in the ways that they gain power and control. And they often manipulate systems against survivors and our clients. But we know that at the center of those behaviors is an attempt to gain power and control over the other partner. So when we're screening for domestic violence. We're just not asking who's been physical with who, because we know that a lot of survivors, unfortunately, as part of their own safety plan or as part of their own survival, often have to get physical as well. So we don't look at the behaviors as much as the intent behind the behaviors. So I was protecting myself or I was protecting my kids is a very different intent than he wouldn't do what I told him to do. Or, you know, she didn't call me back when I when I called her. As a survivor and as a consultant, I like to just put it out there because I'm always thinking of the public's viewpoint and the definition is phenomenal for people who are understanding, <laughs> but the general public kind of don't understand. Abusers aren't always this monster that you think that they are. Just like there is no visual for a victim, there is no visual personification of an abuser. They come in all shapes and sizes, all intellect levels, all backgrounds, and you know, it's not that people think, well, why would they want to control you? Like they could just control anybody. It's their, that's more of the, well, it's more victim blaming, honestly, is putting the responsibility of why this happens and how this happens on the person being abused. They're trying to control because they lack something or they want something, or this is just their mentality of I am this important and I get what I want. And there's a various backgrounds to why they do it. But we really need to put the attention on their actions. They're doing it. They're trying to make the control. They're manipulating things around them rather than it's the victim who is like, I don't like putting the the point of view on the victim of being victimized. The abuser is abusing in these ways. Thank you um, for sharing that experience with us. Now, um, I know the show on on Netflix made has brought up a lot of conversations surrounding domestic abuse. Um, And I'm bringing this up because I think it has some very valuable and valid points for this discussion, especially as it relates to, as you were saying, Jess, the general understanding of the public as it relates to domestic abuse. So first of all, I want to hear what what were your reactions to the show? I uh, have not watched the show. Uh, I have been suggested by many friends who care that have seen the show that it is a very bad idea for me to watch it. 
And I, I thank them for that. Honestly, as you can probably tell from my reaction, I have some interesting views and it's not about the show itself. I, I'm grateful that it's becoming more visible and people are getting to see the complexities of it. I would say very, you know, I'm trying not to use the word anger. Uh, I'm not angry. Uh, it's simply that the public will rave about shows like Made while completely ignoring the person in front of them who has just poured out their story. And personally, the amount of people that I begged to just share, help, think about it. Do you know anybody? And I, I poured myself out and volunteered myself so many times and nobody did anything. And then you have a show and you see the same people just raving about it and talking about it. I didn't know it was like that or, oh my goodness. And it's just like, I'm sitting right here. You felt a, a lack of empathy in real life when it came to these issues, yeah. right? They'll pay attention to it when it's in shows and in movies and in books. But when they have an actual victim in front of them, it's very difficult to be that person, especially because domestic violence is so secretive. We don't get to talk about it very much. And as for survivors, there's so many things that we don't get to say. And so having people literally sit next to you and be like, this is so great, but you're just, I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I appreciate you sharing that, Jess. And um, number one, it's okay to be angry. And that would be a very normal response. Response. Um, we have talked about as a staff potentially watching it and doing some processing because it's definitely become sort of a popular show right now. I think for me, you know, it's a process of just trying to ensure that people have different versions of what this looks like that they can pull from with their understanding, right? So, you know, without having seen it, I think for us, you know, a lot of the films that people reference, like people talk about enough with Jennifer Lopez quite a bit. And that's one where I have to always sort of do some backpedaling around like, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of survivors in prison right now because they made that choice for their own survival. And it's not like a fun movie thing necessarily. It's like real life consequences, you know, so I think that the more this can become something that we have different versions of and that we're comfortable with as a society with recognizing the various ways that this can look right. So that somebody can watch made or watch enough and then also meet Jess and know all of these different experiences exist on the spectrum of people experiencing relationship abuse. You know, it doesn't look like just one thing. So for me, I'm like anything that gets people talking about DV and helps people to understand that it doesn't just look one way sort of helps, you know, move us along the, along the road to, you know, better societal awareness about this issue. It does. If I could add one thing to what Marcella just said, though, um, because you mentioned enough and all the things, I do think that the public, because they get to see behind the door in these movies and in these shows, they get to see behind the door. So they believe that woman. And no matter how crazy the story is, I don't know exactly what happens in made, but I know enough is pretty intense. And they get to see the reality behind the door. So they believe that woman. They want her to survive. They want her to be so successful. But when you're faced with a real life woman, we tend to be just not believed. Not That sounds too crazy to really happen. So I'm hoping that these shows enlighten people to the fact that when someone's telling you a somewhat seemingly crazy story, believe her. 
And I want to say something along that um, same lines in, in the show, spoiler alert, um, she's she's not actually hit. So she was struggling with if she was actually a domestic violence victim. And I think that points to the spectrum of what abuse can look like, right? Absolutely. So I think when you're thinking about how to be a supportive person, whether it's a family member or a friend, or even somebody that you barely know, honestly, what we what we hear from people all the time is that like, even if you don't have an answer, telling me like, I believe you what's happening is not okay, you don't have to do this alone. Those kinds of statements and support make such a huge lasting impact. I mean, we've had people come to our door with a little crumpled up hotline card that they got like 10 years ago. And all that we're doing when we do those things is we're planting seeds with people or planting seeds of hope to know, like, even if this is not the moment for you, just know that like what's happening is not okay. And you don't have to do it alone. And there's help available. You know, when we do that for people and with people, we see the impact that it has. And, you know, people are just faced with all these systems that don't believe them or put the burden of proof on the survivor or victim blame. And, you know, to be that one person that says like, I'm sorry, this is happening. This isn't your fault. You know, that's a real opportunity that we all have in our daily lives to um, to support survivors and decrease that isolation and get people connected to support who maybe wouldn't otherwise know about places like Lutheran Settlement House. Jess, you sort of hit on this, but like, what do we do if someone comes to us and, and they tell us that they're in a situation where they're being abused? It really depends. It's, the, it's a range. It is depending on learning what's going on and really just asking them. What do you need of me? Do you need someone to talk to? Do you need me to call somebody? Do you need to call authorities? Do you want me to call a friend instead? What do you need? Do you need to go to the hospital? And disclosures happen everywhere, (laughs) everywhere to anybody. I mean, they can happen. I actually worked at a hotel and a woman was looking as though something was wrong. So I subtly was able to figure out what was going on and confirmed with her what she needed me to do. But the wrong, like not to say the wrong thing to do, but never just take action on your own. I I know that we, a lot of people want to save the day, but just calling the cops, unless something is life-threatening in that moment and you're witnessing it and you can see that it's about to become life-threatening, I would recommend not just calling authorities because you don't know what that's going to do to the situation. It can make it a lot worse Um, unless you're in fear that somebody is going to be very hurt or killed. I would always say if you're able to talk to the person who's disclosing, ask what they want because they're the ones who would know. They may not be ready to leave. And that's a totally valid choice to make because being ready is the most important thing. If you're not ready, it's not going to be what you need at that time. It's something that they need to come to on their own. So asking what they need is literally the best advice out there. They will know. They will know what's next. And even if they stumble over the answer, They'll figure it out while talking to somebody. Just having somebody interested in knowing what they need is the first step on that journey of figuring out what to do. We've heard this saying that it takes someone seven times of trying to leave before they actually do. Is this is this true or is this just sort of a myth? Where does this come from? I mean, it's very true. I was lucky. I had a support team, so I, I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have without my support team. The tension building up to it was intense. And um, the day of, I fell apart. I completely fell apart with terror. If it wasn't for the person literally telling me to get out and standing in front of me and shoving me out, 
that that person was allowed to do that to me in that situation. So it was okay. But um, there's so many obstacles that lead women to going back. They don't have a place to go. They don't have resources, but I do know it's very true. And I have been, I'm friends with a lot of women who it's taken time to get out. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, we, we really like to remind people that leaving is a process. It's not a one-time event. And so we have people that, you know, enroll in counseling with us who have left, I mean, physically left their abusive relationship 10, 15, 20 years ago and are still processing um, how that's impacted their life, right? How it's impacted their mental health, um, how it's impacted their parenting and their, and their kids. You know, we also provide counseling for child witnesses of DV because we know that, you know, this is a dynamic that impacts every single member of the household. You know, leaving is not like in the movies always where you pack a bag and you're gone and you never see that person, especially if you have children together with the way that abusive partners often manipulate the system around custody and all of that. It's very common for you to have to navigate around that person for your safety for the next 18 years you know, of your life. Definitely, you know, I think that that statistic comes from the reality of all the various reasons why people make the choices that they need to in abusive relationships. We've had people that need to return to a relationship because of logistical reasons, like, you know, their family and friends get tired of hosting them. Everybody's all for it. You know, the first weekend that you need a place to stay. And then that starts to get less fun over time. We've also had people that choose to go back because of emotional reasons. I mean, part of the reason that this is so challenging is that abusive partners, as Jess mentioned earlier, are not always monsters, right? Part of the reason that there's part of them that that a survivor initially fell in love with, right? And potentially still loves. And so it's a very complicated dynamic. And we have people that say, you know, I I care about my partner. I want it to work or I want my partner in my kids' lives. And for us, we're in a position of really, really having to hear that, absorb it and respect it because it's not our life, right? It's that survivor's life. You know, whatever journey they take is the journey that is the best thing for them. And so we really take a client's lead in all of that. Clients also go back for safety reasons. We know that over 70% of domestic violence related homicides occur after someone's left the relationship because that abusive partner has lost power and control, which is the thing that motivates them so much, right? So when somebody says, I can't leave or she will kill me, or I can't leave or he will kill me, we have to believe them and not push our own agenda. Yeah. If I can add one more thing um, that I like to remind people is that survivors are human. They're very, very human. And there's always that hope that, well, maybe they'll, they'll see what they're doing and they'll change or, oh, they acknowledged that they did this the other day. They acknowledged it. They, they looked up this term in this book or they watched that video and, and they understand. And so it's going to be different. And you've, you're, you're human. You've invested time in this relationship. You've planned futures. You know, they talked about marrying you not that long ago, or they did marry you. And it's so many things. And you just have to like, you can't understand how it goes from wanting to, to be with you forever one week. And then I can't handle this the next week and just lashing out. And so there's always that hope that this will be better. Or there's that fear that you'll leave and they'll somehow magically make all of those dreams come true with somebody else. And you were the problem. Like they always told you, you were, we're human. And they're definitely in your head, manipulating your thoughts, making it that much more difficult to separate. 
survivors are human mm-hmm. headline for this conversation. Um, and while we wind down, I want to talk about the resources that are out there for anyone who's listening. So I would say the 24-hour hotline, which is 866-723-3014, is the best way to, to get connected to the hub of services that exist for survivors in Philly. There are three sister agencies that provide domestic violence um, counseling for survivors. Lutheran Settlement House is one of those. There is also safe haven available for survivors. Those, there's legal support available. We can provide information on things like protection from abuse orders. We can, most of all, just safety plan and support survivors and do the asking that Jess is is reminding all of us to do of like, what do you need from me today? Lutheran Settlement House is also available, as I said, as like a walk-in support site for survivors. So we're open Monday through Friday, nine to three, and we are a multi-service agency. So we can support anyone in safety planning around an excuse to be there that is not domestic violence related. We just want to basically meet survivors where they're at, Jess and Marcella, I want to thank you both for joining us today on Flashpoint. Thanks so much. Thank you. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Our newsmaker of the week is Angela Anderson. She's a therapist with a background in child psychology. KYW's Sheridan Howard spoke with her about her current role for Philadelphia Public Schools, helping students cope with the pressures of school, home, and peers. Children exposed to violence in the home are often also victims themselves. And according to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, they're also at risk of developing long-term mental as well as physical health problems. Angela Anderson, master's level therapist with a focus in trauma and child psychology, says when it comes to domestic violence, children are the invisible victims. Welcome, Angela. Thank you for having me. Now, Angela, you say in your line of work, you see the effects that domestic violence has on children. Well, I've been a mental health professional for close to 10 and probably over about 10 years by now, I started in the therapeutic foster care social work circuit. Therapeutic foster care is any child that has has experienced any severe trauma that has caused their removal from their biological family. So every child that I started my career with had been through some significant level of trauma where I'd provide therapeutic services for them. Currently, I'm a therapist within the school districts. Um, I work work in multiple schools in uh, North Philadelphia deal with children that have uh, behavioral concerns to the point where it's affecting their ability to learn their peer relationships and just their overall quality of life. And domestic violence really does have an impact on children and it shows itself in specific ways. How does it show itself and what should adults be looking for? Because you say that kids are really good at hiding things, but they're not good at hiding things when they're hurt. I don't want to say easy to um, identify children that have been victims of abuse. What I think that I see with children that have been abused is a lot of complacency with violent situations where most children may jump at a loud noise. You have children that have been in abusive homes that, you know, seem very calm in a chaotic situation. They seem very comfortable and they seem as though, you know, it's just another day for them. So what you see is children also acting out knee-jerk reactions as far as their interventions with their peers. You'll find that children that have been victims of of abuse, they may have poor impulse control. And you find that their coping skills might seem to be rooted in some level of aggression. So all throughout my life, I went to Philadelphia public schools and there was a culture, a specific culture. What are you seeing in Philadelphia that is unique 
to Philadelphia with regard to how kids deal with domestic violence, how kids deal with violence in general? Yeah, so having the exposure to the children in the schools, what I think that I'm seeing as far as understanding their history and knowing that some of these kids have been through um, abuse, it's violence versus violence. What I'm seeing in Philadelphia is um, the right way to beget violence is with violence and that to me just seems like a lot of conditioning, a lot of um, unfortunate home training. What I'm finding is that a lot of these children are becoming conditioned, conditioned to the way that they feel is the appropriate way to react when they get frustrated or annoyed or kind of thrown off kilter. And the way that violence seems to be the only way for for some of these kids, as well as seeing parents that are sending their kids to school with that mentality as well. Hey, I, I can't lie. I was told that too. They hit you, hit them back. My parents always told me that. It was a matter of survival. Don't be a sucker. If they hit you, you better you better go ahead and hit them back. So you're saying that isn't the right approach. So what should parents be doing? Instead of kind of instructing the child to seek assistance from an adult, talk to somebody about it. Because what I find is that when the, when the schools try to intervene with some of these parents, they're not willing to change their mentality. I told my child that's what he needs to do. That, to me, I feel like is a little bit more of an edge, a Philly edge that I've noticed. And how do we offset that? Well, honestly, what I what I found the schools to do is a lot of these parents are kind of set in their ways and just understanding the boundaries and respecting the parents' wishes because you don't really get anywhere without doing that and just letting them understand that that might be your mentality in your home. But when the child comes to school, these rules have to be different and we need your help with that. And let's talk about how this isn't really isolated to one person, one thing. Abuse has long arms and a long reach. A lot of times you say that kids in the home are also being abused. And this has a ripple effect in their lives. Sure. Um, Unfortunately, many victims of domestic violence, many children that have been exposed to domestic violence um, are often victims of physical abuse in the home as well. Those children have a greater risk of becoming more violent in their future relationships. As far as short-term effects, children can end up just feeling fearful and anxious, on guard, wondering when their next violent event may occur. Okay, let's break this down into simple age groups. For breaking it down into ages, for thinking about preschool children, you might experience some bedwetting, thumb sucking, increased crying, whining, difficulty falling asleep, stuttering, and they might show some severe separation anxiety when you try to drop them off. For talking about school age children, you'd be seeing guilt and blame, low self esteem, poor grades, less friends, uh, getting in trouble more often, um, some physiological uh, responses such as stomach aches, headaches. For talking about teenagers, uh, you might, exp- might see them acting out, fighting, skipping school, just overall risky behaviors, and getting into kind of bullying behavior as well. When we talk about kids, people think that kids are resilient. They'll get over it. You know, eventually this will all go away. Long-term effects are an issue for kids. So can you tell me some of those long-term effects and then how you're offsetting them with treatment? So for a young man who sees his mother be abused, that young man is about 10 times more likely to abuse as an adult. For a girl who grows up where her father beats her mother or significant other, that young female is up to six times more likely to become sexually abused in her adult life. Overall, the long-term effects increase health problems, depression, anxiety, things as simple as diabetes, could be affected, obesity, heart disease can all be side, be side effects of growing up in a domestic violence household. I don't think a lot of people think about, you know, the actual medical aspect of it. The psychology is directly connected to the physiology as well, and sometimes the medical health down the line. Can you explain to us how these things can be connected and how kids are especially vulnerable? Okay, I mean, obviously, we're talking about children, they're formulating their, their relationship with life and the universe and right and wrong um, in real time. 
and they only have pretty much, you know, a small window to formulate what the world should mean and how it should treat them. And so what ends up happening to these kids is they start to think that this is the way that the world's supposed to treat them. They get comfortable with chaos. They get comfortable with being disrespected. They get comfortable with violence being the way that things get solved. And that leads to them have, like formulating maladaptive coping skills when it comes to their own life and their own ability to kind of deal with things in a more health from a healthier perspective. These children, if that course corrected with some level of um, treatment and acknowledgement, will just unfortunately be in a place where they would just end up repeating the cycle and, and assuming that this is the way things are supposed to be. Now let's have a real conversation here. Is there a connection? In Philadelphia, we're seeing an increase in gun violence and street violence. Now, is there a connection? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, for fact of statistics, 15 million children in the U.S. live in homes. Domestic violence happens more than once. And so that makes these children at a greater risk of repeating the cycle. Um, so there's definitely a connection between awareness and prevention and treatment to help offset the cyclical nature of domestic violence and how that kind of appears for these young children. So what are some go-to, some basic treatments they're using to offset some of these issues for kids? Um, I mean, for the anxiety and depression, cognitive behavioral therapy to the form of talk therapy is very widely utilized to help children at least come to a place where they can start to feel safe with some thoughts and feelings that may have felt a little uncomfortable for them. So it's creating that safe space, making sure that you have that cognitive behavioral therapy piece, which connects um, behaviors, thoughts, and feelings. So people are able to start understanding that their thoughts impact their feelings, which impact their behaviors. And a lot of times when you're talking about these domestic violence situations, it's not something that's talked about in daylight and these children have to suppress a lot of things. And so that cognitive behavioral therapy piece is going to be very important for these children to begin to understand what's right, what's wrong, what felt uncomfortable for them and give them a, a forum to be able to work through it. When you think about kids in domestic violence, what are things that adults really need to do to make a priority and really pay attention to close attention? Like I said, I feel, I feel like creating that safe space is important. Allowing children to have the opportunity to talk about their fears. Allowing children to talk about, you know, things that concern them, things that made them feel uncomfortable. Talking to them about healthy relationships and what that should look like. Being honest about being honest about some things that may have occurred. As well as talking to them about boundaries. Thank you so much, Angela, for having this really difficult but poignant conversation. Thank you for having me. If you're considering home care for yourself or a loved one, Patriot Home Care makes it easy with a caring and compassionate staff. Don't be overwhelmed by all the choices. Let Patriot Home Care help. Patriot Home Care is growing with offices throughout Philadelphia and now in Delaware. Patriot is accepting caregivers and new clients virtually as well. At Patriot, you will love what you do and feel rewarded by taking care of people who need your help. Patriot also offers some of the area's best pay, benefits, and a $600 sign-on bonus to new caregivers. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. The Philly Rising Changemaker of the Week is presented by Patriot Home Care. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm your host, Antoinette Lee. This week for our Philly Rising Changemaker, we're highlighting the only domestic violence shelter in Bucks County. A woman's place provides invaluable and life-saving services to hundreds of people each week. You've probably watched or heard about the Netflix show Made. In short, it's about a young single mother trying to flee an abusive relationship. In that story, Denise is the woman who runs the domestic violence shelter, which becomes a vessel of stability for the main character, Alex. We're the only domestic violence response organization, so we do all of the response to domestic violence in the community, but we also do a lot of prevention education, too. A woman 
woman's place is that vessel for hundreds of domestic abuse survivors in Bucks County. Director Marion Lynch says they're the lifeline for those who have or are experiencing similar stories. We are here 24-7. Um, we have a hotline, 1-800-220-8116. And there is always somebody on the other end of the phone. If it rings, call back because chances are they're with somebody else. But there's always a live person to talk to. She says throughout the pandemic, needs for their essential services have increased. In fiscal year 20, which was July 1 of 2019 to June 30th, 2020, we had about 4,300 calls. And then in the same period from July 1st, 2020 to June 30th, 2021, we had about 6,000 calls. So about a 40% increase in calls. And many factors in the already complex process have been delayed. But at the same time, the court system was not operating at full capacity. You know, there was a lot of continuances of cases. So you have people who were in danger who are still in danger because there was not there were not consequences for the individuals who were the perpetrators. So that's been a little bit challenging to navigate. Many DV shelters depend on the kindness of volunteers and donations. Going into the holiday season, Lynch hopes that the community will keep their mission and importance in mind. Our service is our people, you know, the people who are our counselors and our hotline workers and our court advocates have to be able to be paid for their positions. And right now in this extremely competitive market, they are not being valued enough. And so we need support from the public to value them and the work that they're doing. They're keeping a whole lot of people safe and they are working really hard to do it. These are not rich people. These are people who need to be able to afford the 30% increase in food cost right now. (laughs) They need to be able to afford the $3.55 gas gallon of gas. If you're interested in donating or supporting A Woman's Place, you can go to their website, awomansplace.org. You can also see the full story on our website, kywnewsradio.com. If you know a Philly Rising Changemaker we should highlight next, please let me know. I would love to highlight them. You can tweet me at A-R-L-E on air. That's A-R-L-E-E on air. That's it for this week's Flashpoint. You can listen to the full podcast on our Odyssey app, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. All you have to do is search for Flashpoint. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button. I'll end us with this quote by Jane Fonda. The challenge is not to be perfect, it's to be whole. The show was produced by Arian Fulcher, Sheridan Howard, and me, your host, Antoinette Lee. Until next time, remember to keep going. Thank you for listening. Flashpoint is a production of KYW News Radio 1039 FM. For more, go to KYWnewsradio.com slash Flashpoint and subscribe to the Flashpoint Podcast wherever you get your shows. Presented by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives.